Am I audible now? Am I connected? Is it clear? All right. Well, um, this is a chance for me to share with you what we've been doing in Swaziland. But it's also a chance for you to ask me questions. This is not a formal session, okay? This is a friendly session. You can do anything you like, say anything you like, put your hand up, ask a question. So I'll start off, and then uh, if, it, if anything comes to mind, then don't hesitate. Stop me. Because I believe it's better to talk about something that somebody's asked a question, because they're more likely to listen to the answer. But, and if I just go on rambling about something... Anyway, okay, well, I said that the theme to, for this evening's visit and our, the theme for reporting the work so far is rejoicing. We're rejoicing that 45,000 people have crossed the threshold of the clinic, and it presents great opportunities for evangel evangelism, which I don't think we're fully exploiting yet, but uh, I'm mindful of that, and so we're going to be working on that. The leap, now a lot of you, I hope you know what I'm talking about when I say the leap. Uh, the leap has been ordered and uh, the money needed for it has been given. So thank you for all of those here who have had a part in that. <laughs> okay, good. Leap, uh, it's a machine for treating a condition called pre, a precancer of the cervix. It's a, it's a very, very interesting condition because there aren't many conditions in the body which um, will lead to cancer if left alone, but if treated adequately are completely curative. Normally, cancer is cancer and it means you're in for a fight and depends on so many different factors and it takes a long time. But this one is a one-time treatment and uh, if it's done correctly, the, the whole disease is removed. And so it's, a, it's had a dramatic effect on uh, cancer across countries that practice it thoroughly and comprehensively. Um, the death rates from cancer among cervical cancer among women has dropped down very sharply. So it's been a highly successful thing. So that's very encouraging because we're not, we're not going after something which might or might not succeed. We know this one will if we do it correctly. Um, so why, why, why is that particularly important in Swaziland? Well, because... Yeah, good question, Jerry. You know, we have a very high HIV rate in Swaziland, and HIV tends to make this condition more frequent. And so we're seeing a lot of it. And I'm, because I'm a gynecologist too, I'm naturally looking into that area, and I'm doing the, what we call the PAP test for women. And also I do another test, which gives me an in instant result. In Swaziland, it takes time for PAP results to come, up to eight weeks, which isn't very much help. Uh, but the, uh, the, the one that I do gives me an immediate re uh, result, helps me to decide which patients need uh, immediate treatment and which can wait for the PAP result to come through. So, yeah, the LEAP is an el electrocautery machine that, which does the job of removing those bad patches of skin on the cervix. Is that okay now? Any, are, we, are we up? Okay, right, good. Um, so, anyway, also a general thank you to everybody here because of what you've been doing to help us. Uh, the cure, I can't say enough good things about the cure. Uh, you know, back in 2012, I, w I had, I think, was it 10 days, Matt, or two weeks to get everything ready, packed, put in a corner for it to be sent over to Swaziland. And uh, everything that I got out works. I can't believe it. We got an autoclave, a beautiful mid-mark autoclave. It works. 
Uh, we've got um, uh, centrifuge, two centrifuges, they work. We've got pumps galore, and they all work. Suction machines, it's amazing. Uh, and uh, <coughs> so thank you to Cure. Also, I found in Cure, uh, somewhat neglected, I have to say, a, a, a beautiful Zeiss operating microscope, which um, I worried Matt and, uh, uh, and, and Ron to put in a crate, and they did that and sent it over. And when we got it over there, uh, it worked beautifully. Everything worked. In fact, uh, we've given it, we've donated it to a, a, an eye hospital or an eye clinic where they're doing cataract surgery, and they didn't have a, an operating microscope. They just had a loop. That's not enough. And the doctor who came to see it, I think he, he said, well, I'll come and see it, see if it's any good. He, he was amazed. He, we, we connected it all up. And he said, everything's working. <laughs> he, said, he said, when they, these things come overseas, from overseas uh, as a shipment from, um, uh, like this, he said, they usually got some problem with them. Something's broken somewhere. He said, this one is amazing. It worked. So thank you so much to Cure and everybody who helps Cure. And uh, I hope that work is still going forward because it's doing a, a wonderful job. And also, you gave us help with the security system. Uh, somebody, at least one person, you all know who it was. So thank you, too, for that. In fact, the security system worked very quickly. Uh, within about a month, was it, Annette, or something like that? We had a security, uh, somebody tried to break in, the alarm went off, and it sends also, it sends text messages to, to eight different locations, to eight numbers. And we got a text in the night, Annette was... Uh, uh, alerted by the uh, uh, her phone, which got a message, and uh, so immediately we took action. We rang up the police for emergency. They said they would send them people. Then we then got in the car and drove up to the clinic. The police were there before we got there. They almost apprehended the the robbers, so and they didn't get anything. So it was um, we're thankful for that. The, the security system is is really a great help. And for any other helps that we've had, I know, um, uh, and your willingness to be our sponsoring church. So we thank you for that, too. So, right. Uh, the, the Leap. I'll tell you how we got into The Leap. This is the story of Dolly. Does any of you, have any of you heard about Dolly? Uh, we wrote about Dolly in one of our newsletters. Well, I'll, I'll just go over that. Dolly, how much time have we got, by the way? I can get carried away. What have we got? We're going to about 10 to... Till 7. Okay. So Dolly came to see me <coughs> for a pap smear test in January last year, which I did. And I also did the second test the, uh, where I uh, got an immediate report result. And sure enough, there were some changes there which were not normal and I wasn't satisfied with just letting her go. I immediately wrote a letter and sent it to the hospital where I was hoping they would do a leap because they are the only hospital in the country that does leaps. And so I, I left it at that. And I didn't see her again for about six months when she came back. And I said, what happened? She said, uh, I didn't go for the operation. I said, why not? She said, well, they told me I had to bring $40 uh, before I could have my operation done. And uh, that wasn't a bad thing, actually, because what they were wanting was for uh, a um, pathology report to be uh, provided straight away. And the, the government's pathology reports are so long that it, it's of no value. It can take up to six months for a report, whereas uh, the, the, one, the $40, would, the result would be back in a week. And so she said, I didn't have the money, so I didn't go. 
And by the time she came back, she was bleeding and she had what looked like a cancer of the cervix and I sent it to the hospital and sure enough it was. And <coughs> she had stage three cancer, so it's even possible that she had cancer when I first saw her. But anyway, uh, the tragedy is that she wasn't attended to, so that's what tr sent me off on the road to do leaps. And, um, and so we're, in a one we're rejoicing because we've got the machine, it's on the way. We're hoping it'll arrive soon enough to be take, come down to Dallas where I'll pick it up and take it straight back over to, to Swaziland. And Dolly is now in Johannesburg taking, having radiation treatment. So we're praying for her every day. And, um, but my relationship with Dolly was... Um, uh, I enjoyed... I took care of her. I had time with her. I prayed with her from the beginning. Now I pray with nearly all of my patients. And they really, really like it. And it's, a, it's, a, it's very rewarding for me, a ministry like that. And uh, anyway, about, uh, <coughs> was it in October or November, after studying with her, I told her she needed to be baptized. I told her why. I showed her the verses. She was a good student. She studied it. And she was baptized in, I think, late November. And so Dolly is safe. If, if we don't know how the cancer will work out. But humanly speaking, it doesn't look very good because... It's, uh, it's a stage three. But, of course, with the Lord, anything can happen and God can heal uh, no matter what the stage. So uh, it's in God's hands as far as that. But we know that also that she's safe in God's hands and there's nothing to worry about. So Dolly has been a... And she's got a lovely family. Uh, she, she had been living with a man who was not her husband and she told Annette, she said to Annette, I'm changing my life. That, I've told that man he has to leave my life. And it was shortly after that that she became... She was, came for baptism. And so uh, um, <coughs> that's the leap. I also wanted to talk to you about my amazing wife, uh, Annette, who has many qualities and uh, qualifications, uh, a mother, uh, a designer and supervisor of construction, uh, a manager, a financial advisor, accountant. Doesn't sound like you pay her, does <laughs> <laughs> Me and Annette are a team. Annette does the detail, and I do the kind of overview. And so I was the one who chose the venue of Swazi, but, it, but through Annette, God made it happen. So without her, we would never have got off the ground, but uh, Annette has taken care, and the clinic building. Have you seen the pictures of the clinic building? Yeah, if you haven't, it's out there on the uh, display. It's amazing. The Swazis are terribly impressed with it. I was walking past it the other day with, with one of the brothers, and he said, that's a strong building, that is. A, a strong building. <laughs> They're very impressed with that. So, um, and now, in addition to all these other skills, Annette has added the skill of cooking. And she's cooked 80 loaves of uh, banana bread for the church and the clinic this Christmas. And so that was a wonderful effort. And also she cooks gluten-free bread for myself, which I enjoy very much. Okay, well... Uh, the HIV story, we, I can't, uh, we can't go to Swaziland and not be involved with HIV patients. As a result of our 45,000 patients, we have been selected by a major NGO, non-government organization, as a treatment center for HIV. And uh, they will, in addition, carry some of the costs of that service. So that will be a big help because... Our patients um, are charged a small amount, but it's not equal to our costs, especially our wages. Although that is also coming under control as one of our uh, more expensive nurses has resigned 
and we don't intend to replace her with such an expensive person. And there's a way to do it in Swaziland. What you do is you hire retired people because when they, when they finish their government service, they're still quite young and, and healthy and they want to work. But they are also understanding that clinics like ours, community clinics, can't pay government rates. And so that's how we've managed. And um, so hopefully, if it comes to it and we need another nurse, we'll get one of those nurses and not one of these more expensive ones. So uh, <coughs> we're in what we call a ramp-up phase in Swaziland. There are said to be 200,000 people with HIV, but, and at the moment, 100,000 of them are on treatment. The Swazi government pays for the medicines, and uh, there's, there's a well-organized program for training, uh, training uh, doctors, training nurses, pharmacy, uh, counselors, and so on. Everything is quite well-organized. And uh, are you hearing me? Am I, am I disconnecting? Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a well-organized program, and they are one of the organizations which is part of that whole thing are coming to work with us. And so we're hoping that, um, yeah, we've got to go from 100,000 to 200,000. And they like us because we are diagnosing new patients. When you see, 20, when we're seeing, what is it, 2,500 a month? Is it 2,000? 600 a week, 2,500 a month. We're getting about 50 positive, new positive patients every month. And in 2016, 500 out of the total of 9,000 new cases that were diagnosed throughout Swaziland came through our new clinic. And we, there are many other clinics that have been there for years. And here we are coming up, you know, showing quite a, a, a good performance even at this early stage. There are many reasons for the high HIV rate, and I think I did talk about it last time, and uh, it's a very long subject, so I won't really go into that unless you have a question on it. Somebody wants to know more. There's the king, um, and particularly polygamy, of which he is a, a good practitioner, having 15 wives. And I think that has the definite effect on men's view of women. And the Swazi culture, which he is... Um, a great supporter of and a purveyor of this, the Swazi culture. He, own, he carries out celebrations throughout the year, and, and I think he does it largely to win, get tourists to come in and take pictures and spend their money in Swaziland. Uh, so, <coughs> uh, so it's, and also, um, let's see, what was I going to say? As a result of this, there's a lack of respect for women. Women's rights are not recognized, women are not treated equally as men. On, on the surface they are because they signed up to all these United Nations uh, women's rights and all that. But when it comes to the practice down on the road in Swaziland, it's nothing. They don't do it. They don't. And so violence against women is common. Uh, sexual uh, vi violence. Beating up. Men beat up their girlfriends. And I get them coming into the clinic. Unfortunately, I haven't seen any broken bones and nobody has had any sort of serious head injury, but, but huge big bruises all over the body. And belts too, they hit them with belts. It's horrible. And uh, um, I remember what, they come in with dark glasses on. When they take off the glasses, two big black eyes, things like that. So that is going on in Swaziland and it's... Um, and they also breakdown of marriage as a result. I read an article in a paper, and I think it's 
helpful. It helps me to understand. I want to share it with you. It was called, the article, I think the title of it was, We Have Forgotten the Book. And it goes back to a story. I think I told it to you before. You may remember it. One of the Swazi kings from long ago, uh, before he died, he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a white-skinned person who was carrying a book. And the book was from God, and the book had the instructions from God to the human race, to what people should be doing. And uh, he also had a bag in the other hand which had money in it. And um, the king, when he related the dream to his people, he said that the people should send for those white-skinned people to bring the book and <coughs> that the people must learn from the book and understand what God wanted them to do. But they shouldn't take the money. They should leave the money, they should take the book. Well, um, many years later, the, um, because uh, apparently according to culture, if a person has a dream, if a, if a king has a dream like that, then the, his successors must try to carry out whatever his instructions were. And so, um, he, they eventually did hear about the, these white-skinned people with the book, uh, and so they sent for them, and they came down to Swaziland. And Swaziland adopted Christianity in a wide, uh, widespread adoption of it. And there's multiple different churches in Swaziland. Um, there are no Muslim, uh, well, there are a few Muslims. There is a mosque because those are just uh, people who have come into work in the country. There's not, Islam hasn't any basis, no Buddhism, no Hinduism, even though there's that culture in South Africa. So Swazi is very much a church kingdom, or it was. In fact, they used to say Swazi was the pulpit of Africa. But it's changed. And in the article by this person was basically saying uh, a letter to the old king, the one that had the dream and that who died many years ago. He says, Dear king or your majesty, I'm sorry to have to tell you that we have gone for the money and we've forgotten the book. And I think that's a factor. They become materialistic. Uh, it's a problem around the world, of course. Uh, the Swazis want this and they want that and they, they have televisions and they see these uh, glamorous things which they want to have. And so I think that's a factor uh, which um, has caused some of it. So, yeah, they've forgotten the book. Uh, <coughs> but... You know, any time there's a problem, it also presents an opportunity. So it's true there's this serious problem for women in our culture. And uh, so we, as a church, are trying to respond to it. One of the things is, in the, due, due to HIV, a lot of, of the parents uh, have died, leaving children who are now looked after by grandparents. And so these children are called orphans because their natural parents have died. And they're also vulnerable because the grandparents don't have very much money and can't afford to pay for food and schooling and all the other things they need, health care. And so we have a feeding program at the church hall for these children, uh, five meals a week we cook. That doesn't sound like it's enough, but there are other organizations around, so there's a sort of a circuit these little kiddies get to know where they can get food on a particular day, and so they go and take that. We had, uh, I'll tell you about one of our clinic staff, actually, who is a counselor. She's very good at her work. She's very enthusiastic, and she um, gets everybody 
in the clinic to who are involved with her particular service. She, she's very helpful. And in fact, part of it is due to the fact she herself has got HIV. And she's on treatment and she looks healthy. She is healthy. And so she uses that in a positive way to help these people who have just been told, well, you're HIV positive. And so she tries, she counsels them, of course, and able to point to her. Well, she got into some problems, family problems. She had three, four children. And what happens in, in a lot of African countries is if you are a wage earner, then you don't just use it to feed yourself and your kids. Once you are known to be getting an income, then your relatives in the village, your family over there, the family from here will all show up and say, oh, I, I need money for this, I need... And she got into debt. She got into serious debt. She also borrowed money from a loan shark, which means that she's paying horrendous interest rates. Anyway, one afternoon, one Sunday afternoon, it all came down on top of her head, and she was just about to commit suicide, which isn't uncommon. When they get into troubles, they get desperate, uh, they feel isolated, they have no one to turn to, and they will kill themselves. And they can do it quite easily. There's a horribly poisonous weed. Is it a weed or a, a weevil? Something like for killing insects. And I don't know how many they take, but when they take them, they die. <laughs> they, they don't recover. It's lethal. And uh, so she was going to do that. And then suddenly she thought to f phone one of the sisters in the church. And thankfully they came around, they visited her and talked to her. And uh, we counseled her and told her. And she asked me one question one time and I said to her, Sister, as long as uh, Jesus is in your life, there's hope. You never need to give up hope about all your financial problems because as long as you have Jesus in your life. And you know, about two or three weeks later, she was baptized into the Lord. So uh, we have great hopes for her because she's now not only uh, got all her counseling skills, but she got the Lord in her life. And so we count that as a blessing. So as I said, t suicide is quite... This ha happens, and even in, in school kids, they get desperate... They don't have any money because their parents have died. They can't get any education and they feel their world is collapsing. They're, they're too immature to, you know, to be able to cope with it and they will sometimes kill themselves. So, and there are even families that are led by children because all the parents have died and so the oldest child becomes the father. So a child leading the children. So, and that's... That's the reality. It's, it's ongoing. And uh, we would covet your prayers for us to have the skill to know how to help, how to respond uh, to these people because it's, it's not going to go away quickly. We're, 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 we're going to be continuing with it. Uh, we're also rejoicing. I've been selected to be an elder in the very church which is next to the clinic. We have built the clinic in the car park of the church. We attend there. And after... I think it's the f we're in four years now we've been there, coming into our fifth year. They selected elders last year, and I was honored to be included among those who are selected. So I've always thought to myself that would be the highest honor for me ever to be asked to be an elder in the church. And so I'm learning. This is my first year, and I'm learning. I'm, I'm picking people's brains and asking friends if they can give me any advice. One, one good friend told me, he said, you should cut a lot of slack for your fellow elders. And uh, <laughs> so um, I've been trying to do that. So, and I'm, 
to me, I'm very excited because now the Matsafa Church of Christ is under a divinely approved leadership. So I know good things are going to start happening there. So our future plans, uh, we have plans to build a maternity because with my obstetric skills, I can, you know, that I'm, it just lends, my skills lend itself to a maternity project and there's a shortage of maternity beds. Uh, the hospitals and clinics are overcrowded, so I think there'll be plenty of uh, people to come for that. We're hoping that the Japanese will pay for it. Annette, Annette my wife, doesn't agree with that. She, doesn't, she thinks that's a, 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 a vain hope or a <laughs> overly optimistic. But I'm going to ask them anyway. And, uh, but we have to be operating for three years, showing accounts to of our, our activity for three good years before they will look at us. So it won't be, won't be this year, it won't be next year, but the third year... We will apply to them, and uh, we'll see. The, th the other thing that we have to do is we have to let the king of Swaziland know that we are in existence. And uh, you can't do that by sending him a letter or going for a visit and say, Hi, Mr. King, you know, here we are, we're all from this clinic. Oh, no. You have to have a launching. Now, a launching means, and they'll come and tell us exactly what we have to have, so I don't even know what it is, but it's expensive. And uh, we'll have to kill a cow, or more than one cow, or send him a cow uh, before it will sort of register in the royal um, annals or, or, or the royal, uh, what would you call them, the, their books, that this clinic is in existence. And so we are going to have to do that this year. And um, we are waiting to hear because before we can start, the health authority will send us a big list of the things that we have to provide before we can hope to hold a successful launching because we need the kings to know about us so that we can then apply to him for land to build the maternity and the staff housing that should go with it. So that's, uh, we may be getting in touch with you guys later if that, <laughs> uh, for your help. Hey, what? There's a GoFundMe online thing for a king's cow. Yeah, okay. So, um, uh, the other day I was talking to Dr. Gooding. Is he here tonight, Dr. Mike? No? Gooding. Gooding. And he asked me, he said, don't you miss the operating? Because, you know, in Nigeria I worked with Dr. Farah. Dr. Farah was a surgeon. I trained as a gynecologist. I did a lot of surgery, and I loved it. It was great. But I said to Mike, I said, well, Mike, I look really upon this as my spiritual journey. It's, I'm not just going to Africa to operate on people and just to have the enjoyment of that. I'm a Christian and I'm working out my salvation here on earth. I'm, as it says in Philippians is it chapter 2, that uh, we have to work out our own salvation. So I'm struggling and making my way to the Lord. And I'm doing it through medicine because I'm trained in that area. But... It's not that that's the most important. What's important is my relationship with the Lord. And I have found, in a way, that this work in Swazi is more fulfilling for me even than all the wonderful, exciting things that we used to do in Nigeria because I'm relating to people. And when you're doing operations and then they're asleep so they, you can't talk to them, and after the operation, if they get better and they're healthy, they go. And that's it. You don't see them again, or very rarely. So it's difficult to form relationships. But here we're in a community. 
Our people live nearby. They come back for various visits. I saw my relationship with Dolly grew because she had to come back and lots of to and froing. And uh, so, and, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to develop redemptive relationships. I don't know whether ever, you ever heard Landon Saunders years ago talking about a redemptive relationship. And I love that, that idea that at least one person in that relationship has the knowledge and understanding of the Lord and who can see that far ahead. And so by, by having that knowledge, you then try to impart that to the other person. And so, of course, it's, it's a way of, of leading them to Christ, is what it is, simply. But a redemptive relationship is it's, it's, it's deeper than just telling them, we'll go here and be baptized, and then you're a sister or a brother. It's, it's forming a, a, you know, a, a life bond with them, a, a friendship bond. So a redemptive relationships has been something which I've been doing, and that, that's really what occurred with Dolly. I have a redemptive relationship with Dolly. She's now a sister, but it hasn't finished there. We, it will continue. And uh, we are using this, the WhatsApp in Swaziland. WhatsApp is big. Nobody, Facebook doesn't really cut it, but WhatsApp, oh yes. In fact, the church has a WhatsApp site, and it's just packed with stuff. <laughs> it's hard to keep up. There's sort of 50 messages every day in there. So... Uh, yeah, I keep in touch with Dolly. She's now in Johannesburg, as I said, having radiation treatment. So we're praying for her. I told her, every day your name is being mentioned. So, um, the other thing too is that we are living in the town. When I was in Nigeria, we lived on a mission compound. But I, was, I, I heard people talk about living outside the mission compound. And one of the advantages is you get to know the people. And so we are living in an apartment block with nationals all around us. We've got Muslims downstairs who are the car dealers. We've got a new family, Buddhists, have just moved in. And so we're getting to know all of these people. And so I'm building redemptive relations with them too, gradually. And uh, it's a bit hard with the Muslims, of course, because they don't like them. But even that, I was chatting to one of them the other day. And you know how they, whenever you say, they talk about Jesus, they say, well, God cannot have a son. It can't be God's son. I didn't, I said, okay, don't you know that Jesus was God in disguise? That he wasn't God's son. That was just an expression. He was, in fact, God himself. But he'd come down in the form of a human being to carry out his very special work. And he was just a young man, but he listened. He said, oh yeah, he said, I hadn't heard of that. I hadn't realized that. So I'm building a relationship with him, too, uh, about the work of the Lord. So any questions? Have I raised any Questions in your mind? If I understood your, your reports, there was a church forming there besides where you're doing. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned elders. Yes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the church was there before us, but they were the ones who invited us. Oh. Uh, they have been wanting to build a, have a clinic because they saw they, they, their work in the community. They saw that the people were poor, there was no nearby clinic, um, and uh, they were sick, they needed medical attention, and so they, yeah, then they started looking, and they started praying about it, and God brought us in contact, and so it's a good, it's a, to me it's a healthy relationship, because it's not our clinic, we didn't think of it, they thought of it, and asked us to help them carry it out, so that one day when we leave, they will carry it on. 
Although they've told me, they said, be sure, doctor, before you go, you get somebody to replace you. So I said, okay, I'll try. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to close now. I'm now 70. I'm in my 70th year, and you may say, well, how much longer can Dr. Whitaker keep going? Well, I feel like I'm like Paul in Colossians chapter 1, that I'm energized by God's Spirit, which works powerfully in me. Um, I still look, when I get up in the morning, I look forward to going up to the clinic and seeing patients. And uh, because... There's, it's very interesting medicine, HIV medicine, affects so many areas in the body. You get many different presentations, and because the situation isn't really under very good control in Swaziland, you get quite a lot of people who have been positive for a long time and are now getting sick from it. And so you need to recognize that straight away to get them onto treatment. Um, I had a young woman the other day. She came in, and... Uh, she had diarrhea and uh, she looked thin and, waist and uh, like she'd lost weight. And uh, <coughs> I said, uh, um, have you done your HIV test? No. Are you married? No. You have a boyfriend? Yes. You use, you use a condom because that is one of the basic ways to prevent spread of HIV, use of condom. No, I don't use condom. Well, now, using, living like that, that's basically... Uh, uh, formula is disastrous. I mean, it's, it's, we call it, the, the official name is risky behavior. But I mean, it's, <laughs> it's lethal behavior because you're going to get infected pretty quick. And she's, I said, will you be tested? No, I don't want to be tested. So I examined her and um, I said, well, I can't really decide if you're, no, I don't think I did examine her at that point. I was going to examine her, but I said, no, I need to know your HIV result first because it's important because the symptoms you're telling me are serious and I need to know what's causing it. So she agreed. So off she goes. She comes back positive. I said, okay, let me examine you. So I put her on the table, put my hand on the tummy. She's pregnant too. About, it wasn't far along, but say four months. And uh, so, you know, that's a, an example of the kind of... Not everyone like that. She's a bit, of, a bit of on the extreme end, being very sort of gullible and not well educated whether she was I never did find out why she was unable to understand the importance of you know taking care I'm sure she's been told but she didn't listen but anyway those are the kind of people we're seeing with uh, advanced disease and of course the risk there is the baby may also be positive when it's born because at the moment the main one of our main tasks is to prevent the babies from being positive so the next generation uh, will be born free of disease, at least that's the target. So that, uh, <coughs> that's the way you begin to overcome the, the disease. And uh, now, by ramping up the number of people on treatment, it will reduce spread, because people who are effectively treated don't spread the disease. Even if they don't use something like a condom, they still don't protect, they don't spread it, because their blood level of the virus is so low, they are non-infectious. So, um, uh, as I said, I look forward to seeing my patients. I enjoy that. Uh, the, the road, uh, my life has been a tough road. It's, it's had its ups and downs. But, you know, uh, when you get into the mountains, the view is great. And so I've grown as I've gone along. God has molded me. I had many 
faults. I had many things that needed to be changed in my life. And um, so it's been, it's taken time. <laughs> I'm thankful God is patient and that he uh, didn't get fed up with me. Uh, as a, once Somebody once said that, that he was a work in progress, and I think that's quite good. I'll take that myself too. And uh, I also learned and, and, uh, that diamonds are made by taking a piece of, just a piece of, of charcoal or just a handful of carbon coal dust, and you squeeze it very, very tight and heat it very, very hot, and out will come a diamond. So... Uh, God is, I understand that, and, and I really appreciate that the trials I've been through are, are actually helpful. So, I may, if I may, I'm going to use an old English fox hunting um, term, that I'm on the scent. You know, in England, we, we chase foxes all around the countryside with packs of hounds. It's, it's uh, actually rather a cruel thing, and I think it's actually, it's been banned <laughs> in my... In my uh, uh, Oscar Wilde said... It was the unspeakable chasing the uneatable. Uh, he didn't think much of fox hunting. But anyway, I grew up with it. I mean, I used to have nightmares about being attacked by a fox. But anyway, I grew up with it. And, uh, you know, the scent, the, when, the ha- when the hounds were getting close to the fox, then the, the, the scent was strong and they really would run at high speed and with that, all that uh, hound baying that they have. So I feel like I'm on the scent. I'm getting closer. And uh, so I'm not giving up now. I've come this far. Um, Sadly, my brothers, my two younger brothers, have both turned away from the truth. But my mum was a member. She was baptized, and I know I'm going to see my mum one day. So I'm full of joy with that. And uh, so for me, the sense of God's presence is getting stronger. And that's what buoys me up, and also my wife too. We together we feel that presence of God, because He started a great work. We believe in Swazi, and He will certainly see it through to the completion, at least to the level that He wants it to be. And so we are confident in that. So once again, before I close, I thank you too very much for having made it possible, uh, and for your part in the work that you've had. And. Uh, We hope that your support will continue. And uh, please, this is an invitation to all of you. Come over and visit us in in Swazi. I've already spoken to Tana. Tana's dad introduced me. Tana's coming over to Swazi next year, this year, June. Right. Uh, Yes, I think so. So he'll be there. So he'll be able to give you a report of what it's like. But yeah, Swazi is a nice place, friendly and uh, warm, sunny weather, and uh, it's, it's a nice place to visit. It's, uh, it's, it has South African standards, more or less, and, uh, <clears throat> but there's none of the apartheid problems, of, which is still causing problems in South Africa. There's, there's not a very happy country. There's a lot of anger and suppressed sort of uh, ill will towards the, between the black and the white community, and it isn't possible. It doesn't occur in Swaziland, so do come for a visit. And I know that Annette will be an excellent tour guide and show you around all the nice places that you can see that we have there for you to see. But also you'll be able to see the work and see the clinic. And maybe God will uh, lead you to um, get involved in some aspect of the work. (laughs) Because there's other things. You don't have to be a doctor or a nurse. There's there's the church work. uh, There's the orphan's work. 
I can't give you a sort of say, yes, here's the program, this is what you'll sign up and I'll get you involved. It, uh, a lot of programs have not been organized, so maybe you'll have to start that organize or join an organization that will enable you. Yeah, Sister Joyce. Two languages, Swati and English. So they're pretty, all the, all the people who are educated, yeah, learn it. And I have to have some Swati for my patients. And I'm enjoying, enjoying learning it. And I didn't, I'm doing a better job on that than I did on Igbo, even though I was in Nigeria for 25 years. I never really made very much progress. But I'm having a go. And in fact, I walk to work every morning and it's only a 20-minute walk, but it's up a steep hill, so that's good exercise. And at the same time, I've got my earphone in, and I'm listening to phrases in Siswati and learning them, uh, which I use when I get to the clinic. So I, I'm enjoying that too. So, um, Okay, that's about the <laughs> extent of the report. Thank you for listening, and please, uh, as I say, anybody like to come, we'd love to see you over there. Thank you very much.